and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. Why would God want the people to multiply and fill the earth? God's plan is to make this earth his kingdom and be filled with his people. The word that God uses to command Adam and Eve is the word dominion. It's a kingdom language, and that kingdom is to be ruled by God and by his people. God gave power to his people so that they can rule the earth with authority and power. This sounds the same as when Jesus said to his disciples uh, that believers will be co-rulers with Christ when he established his kingdom on earth and heaven. The purpose is the same, to have God's children be part of God's kingdom as rulers. But after the fall of humanity, uh, so Genesis chapter 1 is before the fall, but after the fall, the grand plan of God got compromised. Compromise. Instead of people multiplying and populating the earth to build God's kingdom, they began to build their own kingdom. Instead of spreading and filling the earth with people, they began to stay in one location and multiply evil and violence on the earth. And God ultimately decided to destroy the people with the flood and start all over with Noah and his family. So in Genesis chapter 8, verses 22, chapter 9, verse 1, this is story after God has destroyed the earth with flood. And Noah and his family came out, uh, out of the ark. And the very first thing that they did to worship God. And we read the following passage where God again commands Noah and his people to do the following. And please let me read this passage. It says, uh, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offering on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said to his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, sea times, harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. And then verse 1 of chapter 9, he says this. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God commands his people to be fruitful Multiply and fill the earth. God wants them to populate the earth just as he commanded from the very beginning. God's purpose for the earth and for humanity did not change even after the fall. God still wants us to multiply and fill the earth. The word multiply also has the idea that not only we only do we multiply physically, by having many children, uh, but also it, me- it means to multiply God's people through spiritual conversion. He wants us to help people to convert and become children of God, which is same as missions. 
to we witness to the people with the gospel to convert them to become followers of Christ. That multiplying also includes training our children, the next generation, to, to follow God. Something that Pastor David Larry and this church uh, are passionate about, reaching the next generation with the gospel. Like Eugene mentioned, I know your Pastor D.L. Uh, since he was senior uh, in high school. I was his Sunday school teacher. And I saw him grow, growing in the faith, and many of his friends uh, also became faithful servants of God. Uh, I remember he and two other uh, friends did a 40-day fast. Have you, have you ever shared that to you guys? Okay. Maybe my story might be different, okay? Um, I, was, I was there when they did it, and amazingly, DL finished it. Um, so this fast is not completely not drinking anything, but you are allowed to drink, and then uh, you are still allowed to take some uh, nutrient in your body. So what they did was they, they make a soup, and then just drink the, uh, the, the broth, okay? Um, I remember DL telling me... Uh, and that sometimes when they drink their broth, there will be at least a piece of chunk, uh, stuff in the broth. So he was telling me that he was so hungry as he was uh, uh, drinking, he would fill little pieces of stuff and he tried to chew and save as much as he could. I, I mean, if any of you have done some type of fasting, you would know how hungry you would get especially for 40 days. Uh, and he did it. Uh, and I can't even do three-day fasting. I'll pass out. <laughs> I'm very proud of him, uh, and he has become a faithful servant uh, that cares very much in reaching the next generation of God's servants. I pray that God will continue to use him and this church to reach the next generation to follow Jesus. Because reaching each generation for Christ is crucial because we will see in Genesis chapter 11, the generation after Noah and his children have lost their faith again and became rebellious and unfaithful. Even after the flood and how God commanded Noah's descendants to spread out to the entire earth, People did not obey God, God's commands, but instead they built Tower of Babel that is opposite of what God commanded. Let me read, uh, I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but uh, chapter 11, we see people gathering and they, they learned how to uh, bake brick and make a really strong building. So they decided among themselves, you know what, let's... Let's not spread. Let's just get together and build this tower that reaches to the heaven so our name will be great. And the story goes that God comes down to see what they're doing, and then God realized these people will never stop. Never stop obeying God. Uh, disobeying, never stop obeying God. Uh, disobeying God. Uh, and then this is what God said in verse 4. I'm sorry. Uh, 
verse 7. It says, Come, let us go down and there confuse the language so that they may not understand one another. Speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the other earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, the name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. There, you know, having many languages actually is a curse from God. But you, you soon will find out it became a blessing to humanity. After repeated commands to fill the earth, God takes a matter upon himself and confuses the language of the people. And when the people were forced to spread throughout the earth because they could not communicate with the people and they were forced to search people that they could communicate with, by doing so they began finally to spread throughout the earth. And we know this for a fact because we see uh, throughout the earth from coldest Arctic to the Sahara Desert, uh, from deep inside the Amazonian jungle to the remotest islands of Pacific, we find people and civilization with their own language and culture, and they are all result of God confusing the language of the people at the Tower of Babel. Even though it felt cursed to, cruel to confuse the language of the people, it was actually good for them because finally they were able to do what God wanted them to do. That is to spread and fill the earth. Now, finally the stage is set on earth for God to begin one of the most awesome and truly incredible stories. To bring God's blessing to all the people of this earth. And that blessing will be brought by Abraham and his descendants. And that plan begins with the call of Abraham from his home country uh, to come out and go to the place that God will show him. Uh, turn with me to Genesis 12, if you could. And this is a very uh, important passage for, for us as Christians to really know this, uh, this passage. It's a call of Abraham and and it says this, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In this passage, God calls a man and his fam family to come out of their own country to go a totally unknown land, people, and language to be God's chosen people. And God makes his covenant with them and said, God will bless him and make him great and a great, uh, make him a great and great nation and this implies many children, land, and wealth. And he will bless him so that he can be a blessing to who? Himself? To others. And through him, all nations will be blessed. There are two significance 
about the blessings. Uh, the first is messianic, and second is missional. Okay. The first is obvious that the blessing that God is talking about here uh, is the spiritual blessing. Even though material and physical blessings are also there, imply, but the most important aspect of the blessing is the blessing of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And let me explain. God bless, God's blessing, God is blessing the world through Abraham because through him and his bloodline, mainly through Jewish people, that Christ will come. The second aspect of Abrahamic blessing is the missional aspect. Abrahamic covenant says clearly that Abraham and his descendants have the role of bringing blessings to the people of this world. They are chosen, uh, they are chosen ones to carry out the message of this covenant to bring the message of salvation to the Gentiles. However, in time of Jesus, most Jewish people have forgotten the role that they have to be a blessing to all nations. As the children of Abraham, they ought to live in faith and share their spiritual blessing to others. They forgot that God wants to bless the people uh, of the world through the sharing of their faith in God. But instead, most Jewish people became self-righteous and kept their faith and knowledge of God for themselves. When Jesus came and revealed to the people that he is the ultimate revelation of God, many believed in him and his message. But when he began to show the people that God wants this revelation to be shared not only among the Jewish people, but also to the Gentiles, Many became dismissive and wanted nothing to do with the Gentiles. But one by one, God showed that the kingdom of God is for all. And Jewish people play an important role in this kingdom, that they have the privilege of announcing and sharing the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. The people of this world, it says, through you, the descendant of Abraham, all nations will be blessed. Now, the writer of New Testament, especially the writers of gospel, point this out. For example, Matthew chapter 1. I don't know if you've uh, heard this before, but Matthew has very important missional uh, uh, teaching. And especially Matthew chapter 1, um, do you guys, it's a genealogy of Jesus, right? It's a long list of names. And let me quiz you something about that. It's those of you who read the New Testament, um, sh should start from Matthew, right? So when you start reading the Matthew chapter 1, you're like, what? What is this? All these different names. Oh, I cannot even pronounce those names. But there are four names that is mentioned there that are very important. Can you guess what they are? Can you guess who they are? Give you a hint. They are all women. 
The second is that they are all Gentiles. Let me explain this, how important this chapter is, especially for Jewish people. You know, these were, these were the people who are listening to uh, reading were Jewish Christians. Okay? They think that they are the chosen people. You know, Gentile, no, I don't want to associate with them. I don't even want to be near him or near them. And this is what the writer of Matthew is telling the people. So they're mentioned four names, okay? Uh, so first name is Tamar. Uh, Tamar is the uh, daughter-in-law of Judah, one of the uh, uh, 12, 12 patriarchs. And she has a son through Judah to continue the, uh, the line of uh, Judah, and she is a Gentile. Okay? There's another name, verse 5. Rahab. Rahab is a Gentile woman also. She was actually a prostitute who helped Jewish uh, spies to be uh, hidden, and she was blessed by that. And then there's the uh, Ruth. Okay? Remember the Ruth? She was also a Gentile woman. And then wife of Uriah, okay, who has uh, King Solomon. So let me just mention and give you example why these names are very important. Okay, any Jewish people here by birth? Okay, I don't know if this is true. So in order for you to be a Jew, your mother has to be a Jew, okay? For example, if your dad is Gentile and your mom is Jewish person and have a child, your children become Jew. Vice versa, if your dad is Jew and your mother is not Jew, then your children are not Jews. Okay. Think about it. People were reading this. These Jewish people were reading this. And they realized something very important. Because in the three ancestors of King David were Gentile women. And David had a child with wife of Uriah, King Solomon, a Gentile woman. So, in reality, in line of Jesus, Jesus had blood of Gentile. In fact, we could argue that he was as Gentile as Jewish person. This is mind-blowing to the Jewish people who are reading this. Is this possible? The people that we hate the most, actually, Jesus from them, from their bloodline. So, book of Matthew, the first book of New Testament, spills out the importance of non-Jewish people, that they were part of the lineage of Jesus. Now, the main passage that we read today, earlier, uh, the same idea is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 14 to 16. Our main passage, uh, uh, let me read this passage again. It says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. 
and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. The background is similar, uh, that, that of Matthew. Uh, Jesus is talking to many Jewish uh, audience, believers, and he's telling them something very important in this passage. Verse 14 tells us that Jesus, the good shepherd, knows his sheep, which means his people, and those who are his people also know him. This implies that Jesus already knew who are his redeemed people and are even before the people realize that they are saved, Jesus and God, uh, in his sovereign knowledge, preordained and predestined his people to be saved. You are here because God already chose you even before you were born. Not that we chose him, but God chose us. That's an amazing story. And those whom God has chosen and saved will know that we are God's people. This is interesting because when we say we are born again, Christian or saved, it means that we not only believe in God and the gospel of Jesus, but we also begin to know God personally, intimately. Something happened in us. Something happened in us. Uh, a permanent change happened. Our DNA has been permanently altered by the Holy Spirit. In verse 15, it talks about how Jesus and the Father God had this incredible and inseparable relationship agreeing to do one amazing thing, that is to save the world through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And then finally, verse 16 Jesus reveals a shocking truth to his disciples. Uh, if they have not already realized this uh, uh, through the Gospel of Matthew, he says, God has other people beside Israelites that are God's children. And this, again, is a shocking truth, especially for the Jewish people, disciples who believe that the only Jews are the chosen people and the Gentiles are damned and rejected people. But Jesus says that there are God's chosen people among the Gentiles. And to them he must go and bring them to be part of God's whole, God's people. This means that Jewish believers and the Gentile believers will become one people and one kingdom of God. Amen? You know, as Korean... Um, Korean-American, uh, I came to learn how important uh, and crucial missions work is. Um, about 150 years ago, uh, 1866 to be exact, marked a very important year for Korean Christianity. Uh, in that year, over 8,000 uh, Korean Catholics were executed for their faith and driven out of Korea. In the same year, the first Protestant missionary was also killed and he, as he attempted to reach Korea with the gospel. Missionary Robert Germain Thomas, who was from, the whale, from Whale, came to China in 1864 as a newlywed with his wife to serve the people of China. But God's providence has said he met some Korean Catholics and learned for the first time about the, this little uh, 
known hermit kingdom called Goguryeom, or Korea. 1865, he made his first visit to Korea, but was unable to go to the interior of the country because of the persecution. Uh, so he stayed in the coastal area uh, and learned the language and shared the gospel with the people uh, around, around there. However, he had to return back, or flee back to China because of the persecution, and he almost died uh, trying to escape. Going back to China, uh, he learned that his wife had died through a complication of a miscarriage. He lost his wife and child at the same time. But while he was grieving for his loss, God still worked in his heart and gave him the compassion for Koreans and to bring the gospel message to them. He decided to go back to Korea. This time he wanted to go to the capital city, Pyongyang, uh, the heart of the Korean kingdom. And he bought an American merchant ship, and he brought with him gospel tracts and Chinese Bibles. Uh, most educated Koreans can read Chinese. Uh, and there was no Korean Bible at the time. But as soon as the ship entered the capital through the waterways, they were told to leave the, uh, by Korean officials. But the captain and the missionary Thomas still wanted to land and talk to the people. But they were attacked. Ultimately, the ship was engulfed in fire, and missionary Thomas began to throw the gospel tracts and the Chinese Bible to the shore and to the people and told them with the little Korean that he, he knew, Yesu Guan, Yesu Guan. He was, as he was throwing the Bible and the track to the shore, he shouted, Yesu Guan, Yesu Guan, which means Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Finally, Thomas took the, uh, the last remaining gospel track and few remaining Bible that he can carry swim toward the shore. And then he was met by Koreans who wanted to kill him. But before he died, he was able to give the remaining Bibles to few people and said to them, please read this, Jesus saves. Then he was speared to death in the water. The same person who ordered the killing of the missionary took the Bible as a trophy. Took it home, posted the pages to the walls and the doors of his house. And then he began to read the Bible pages and learn about God, about Jesus, about the gospel, and, became, and ultimately became a believer. He is the first Protestant believer in Korea, and his house later became the first church in Korea. God used the sacrifice of missionary Thomas to start one of the greatest Christian movements in Korea. Less than 15 years later, the city had more than 100 churches, and a great revival broke out in the city, and Pyongyang became known as the Jerusalem of the East due to their Christian revival. You may know this. Korea has one of the highest percentage of Christian population among Asian countries. 
And until recently, Korea was the second most missionary-sending country uh, in the world after the United States. Presbyterian churches are the most dominant churches in Korea because the early days, many American missionaries from Presbyterian churches came to Korea and served faithfully for many years and paid dearly for the gospel. Many died in Korea. In South Korea, uh, there's a small memorial park dedicated for the burial of foreign missionaries. In that park lay over 300 tombs. Most of them, and if it's not all, are missionaries and their families who died in Korea while serving the Koreans. Many of these missionaries will to be buried in Korea and not taken back to their homeland. Uh, in fact, there's a, this famed American missionary who served in Korea for 46 years. He, he retired back to the United States in New Jersey, and, but he wanted to be buried after he died in Korea. So when he passed, his children took his body to Korea and buried him in that part. God touched the hearts of many Western missionaries, especially American missionaries in the late 1800s and 1900s to go to Korea and to bring the gospel. And the same God who inspired and challenged them is challenging many Korean Americans like ourselves, like you, to serve as missionaries to the world. Korea is maybe one of the most successful mission stories but the irony is this. The place where Christianity is studied in Korea now has no access to the gospel. Pyongyang is the capital of North Korea, a communist country. There are still over 25 million people, North Koreans, that do not have access to the gospel. We made tremendous strides bringing the gospel to the people of this world. But even after 2,000 years of Christian missions, there are still over 50% of world population living in unchurched and unreached people's group area. That is over 3.7 billion people are living in an area where there's little gospel witness among the people. About 3 billion of those people live in places like China, India, uh, and many Middle East and other Muslim countries uh, where they, are very, they have very little or no gospel witness. But the shocking statistic is that over 700 million people in Europe are also considered as unchurched people. Many countries, including Spain, has less than 2% evangelical Christians. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I commanded you. And, Lord, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Matthew 28, 19 to 20, God commands us to go to the world, to bring the gospel message to the people. I am very grateful that this church is very mission-minded church, that you guys send faithfully uh, short-term missions and support many missionaries. I'm, 
I'm, I'm speaking to the choir. Okay. Uh, and I'm glad that you guys are sending people to Ecuador. Uh, and can, those of you who are going to Ecuador, can you raise your hand? I want to see who you are. Okay. Okay. Wow, mostly adults. Wow, that's, that's great. Um, can, I, can I ask you something of you guys? Um, as you go, would you pray? Would you pray for the people? Not just the time that you be with them. But would you pray every day so that the gospel will be reached to the people of Ecuador? The kingdom will be exp- expanded in Ecuador. Would you pray as you come back, as you serve this church, would you pray that this church and yourself would continue to serve the people of the world with the gospel by praying for the missionaries and missions efforts, supporting them financially, or even yourself going there as missionaries? Because Matthew 28, 19 to 20 are now written only for the missionaries. It's not written for only us, for us. It's not written only for the short-term missionaries. But it is written for all of us, you and I, from the youngest to the oldest. <laughs> and we've seen from the Bible, God has his heart on mission to reach the people of the world. That's his heart. He spread the people around the, around the world, and now he's sending his people to reach those people who are spread. That's his mission. And as soon as we obey, more faithful will be, and more people will be added to the kingdom of God. Okay. Uh, if you can close your eyes, please, and uh, let me... Uh, lead you in prayer. I want you guys to pray and think about uh, in the light of this, this passage that, uh, that I share, that you listen. Where are you? Where are you in the God's kingdom program? Where are you in the Great Commission challenge that Christ gave us? Not all of us are called to go as missionaries. Well, all of us are called to do Great Commission work. So I want to challenge you and ask you to pray where you be part of, where, what role can play and I wish all of you can just become missionary and go throughout the world but that's not the reality but we need to think about how we can reach the people of this world that means that someone needs to go that means that we need to raise people to go you know we have all these young people here Guys, God is calling some of you to be missionaries. God is calling some of you to support missionaries and 
God is calling all of us to participate in the Great Commission. So just let's pray. Let's ask God to really show us, direct us where we can be in this Great Commissioning work. ask you guys one more thing um, uh, would you pray for Europe many people don't think about Europe as mission field but just like my wife sure it's, it's worse than mission field people don't even know that there is God 700 million people would you pray that God will send His Spirit, His people, to bring them to the gospel, that they be able to be part of God's great flock. Spirit of God is challenging us and touching our hearts to do something about the Great Commission. And I am grateful, Lord, that uh, we are doing something about it. But I pray, Lord, that let us challenge us to do more, challenge us to purposely live our lives for the Great Commission. I thank you, Lord. I thank you for all the people who are serving uh, this church and uh, uh, those who are going to a short-term mission to Ecuador. I pray that, that you bless them, guide them. May you bring your people to the great flock through their ministry. We thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.